Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. It's time for another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And today we're not going to disappoint because we're talking to one of my coolest friends here in Austin, Texas. We have Henry Yoshida with us today. And Henry's got an eclectic background. But what I like about him is, you know, we've been talking a lot about sort of reinventing and restarting your life. He had a really successful financial planning career with Merrill Lynch. He was one of the top people in town helping people invest their money and giving advice in, around those things. And then in 2014, he left that practice to go be part of a startup. And now he's already on to the next thing. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what it is to sort of leave corporate America, get into your own thing, and, and then how entrepreneurs pivot. He actually is a graduate of the University of Texas here in Austin, and then he has two MBAs. I was looking at it. I said, Henry, who has two MBAs? But it was a joint program between Queen's University in Ontario and Cornell, and so the way the program worked out was he got two degrees, almost for the price of one. I don't know about the price. Maybe it cost more than two. It was a very uh, high price regardless. It was a high price regardless. So, Henry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. I've listened to some of the episodes before, so it's kind of exciting to be on the other end. Well, it is fun when people actually have heard the show when they're actually on the show, so they know sort of where we're going to go with this. So let's talk a little bit about what you were doing early on as a financial planner and how you built that business, and then what caused you to walk away from it sort of at the pinnacle of success. So, you know, when you're a financial advisor, what's, what's interesting is that, and this is a real credit to Merrill Lynch, but when you're actually inside of an organization like that, you actually are sort of charged with building your own business. So it's, uh, you're, you're in, a, in a particular process and system that allows you to be an entrepreneur, but maybe only have to worry about, let's say, 25% of the things that it takes to be an entrepreneur. So it's, it's, it's almost like, uh, for me, I look at it as a long-term incubator project. And, and you know, I was very successful. Uh, I developed a client base, a niche, uh, working in a segment of the financial planning space that not a lot of people did and built that up. And, you know, just, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, one day it just sort of hits you that, that, um, maybe, maybe, it, maybe you should actually just do something else. Like, you know, is what you're doing right now something that's going to be repeatable for the long haul? So I just decided to explore some of the options I'd had. Technology was starting to combine with finance and I'd kicked around a couple of ideas over the years and really just decided to jump on one of them. And you go all into that business. Yeah, but I mean, I know a lot of very successful people who work, you know, for a company and they maybe they even have a good entrepreneur thing set up, but they have that pull that they want to take the leap, but they're kind of scared to walk away from the income or for a million reasons, they never take the leap. Most of the people I interview on the show who made that transition most of them, like myself, got laid off or had some sort of a, you know, a trauma in their career that caused them to have to change. You sort of decided it was just time. What was that like to just walk away from it? Well, uh, you know, it, it was some, uh, the way I looked at it is that I was at a point in my life from an age standpoint and maybe the level in my career that, that if I walk away and I give it a shot, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that I completely jumped off the deep end of the pool without thinking about a safety net, but there was an opportunity for me to always be able to come back in to that organization so or an organization like that. So if I go and I try to do my own thing, let's say, for three to five years and it doesn't work out, then I do have the opportunity to come back in. Luckily, I, I was fortunate enough to come from an industry where there is a skill set. So my skill set is always going to be applicable to come back to that, organ- 
to that organization or that industries. And it gave me a little bit of comfort. And I just decided that it was a chance that I had to take. And, and, you know, it's afforded me all sorts of opportunities to meet people like yourself, meet people in different industries. And, and I guess at the end of the day, do what entrepreneurs love to do, which is explore what makes them happy. So did you always have this sort of ping inside you that you were going to go do your own thing? I mean, when you went and got your MBA, was that sort of something in the background that you thought, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be my own boss one day and run my own company? Uh, it was actually the program that I picked was uh, specific to it. So I concentrated a lot of my courses actually in a very long project, which counted for a lot of credit hours. And I used that actually as a way to, in a very formal environment with, with within an academic institution to actually incubate an idea, to really think about put down a plan and actually decide, you know, am I going to build a, uh, a scaled consulting business uh, that was somewhat related to the field that I was in? Or am I going to figure out a way to combine expertise that I'd gained in the financial services space and maybe, you know, kind of combine that with technology? That's, that's, that's my interest as an entrepreneur. And that's what I'd explored ever since leaving. But I did also did that in a controlled environment. So there was, you know, thought put into how to approach. So do you think that most people who take the leap do that much thought and have that much planning into it? Or do you think that some people just go, I'm going for it and they'll go off the cliff? Uh, I, I think that probably most people just say that they're going to go for it. Or in the case that you just described, they were, they were laid off. So they don't really have much of a choice. And, and, you know, maybe sometimes it's a little bit better. I mean, I did the equivalent of sort of walking slowly into the cold ocean uh, versus just sort of jumping headfirst in there. And maybe that's an easier way to kind of get acclimated to the cold water. Uh, you, you know, I'm not sure that, that the way I did it was actually better than some people to get forced into it. I think that, you know, entrepreneurs become entrepreneurs for, you know, for some reason or other, maybe it's something inside of them, but how you actually get to that point is, you know, there might be a million iterations of that. Well, I think there are a lot of different paths to success when it comes to, you know, having your own business or even any type of career. I think that there's no one way, there's no one right way to do it. But it leads me to the question that I ask sometimes, and that is, do you think people who are entrepreneurial, do you think it's they're born with it? Or do you think that it's taught and learned? Yeah, you know, I, I, I do actually think that it, it there's a certain semblance to, to having to being born with it. Uh, you know, what's interesting, uh, there's a person that I follow, and he's actually the founder of a, of of a thing called the Founder Institute. And he actually has a very you know, well-publicized test. It's, a, it's called like Founder DNA. And he's, a, he's basically administered this thing to 35,000 people. And he claims that basically under 2% of them actually pass the test. And the questions are actually have nothing to do with, you know, asking about knowledge content, but it's literally sort of A, B, C, D, and E might actually present like different shapes and different colors. And you're asked to pick like which one sticks out to you. And it's sort of a way to uncover maybe the makeup of a D and the DNA of an entrepreneur. So I, I, I prescribed that, that it's not so much taught, it's something that you're born with, but I'll follow that up by saying that I think that naturally human nature, a lot of people have a desire to kind of do what makes them happy, um, um, you know, to pursue something that's, that's, that's a passion of theirs, a way to monetize a passion of theirs and, you know, hopefully implement a plan for the greater good. So you made this leap in 2014. So what do you love about the life of an entrepreneur now that you left the safety net of the big company? Well, you know, uh, I, I haven't had to buy a new tie in about a year and a half. So that's, <laughs> that's been one positive. So uh, a little bit easier on the budget, I'll say that for sure. But, uh, but you know, the reality, you know, all joking aside, I think what I loved about it was that, that you know, when I was beginning my career, I was at a point where I could sort of have a little bit of say in what I wanted to do. So uh, at least I've always been in positions where I've, I've had some sort of say in my job and what I did on a daily basis. Uh, but it was a very small percentage of it. And then as I got to 
becoming an entrepreneur, I decided that, you know, it's a lot more fun and enabling to have 100% control of what you do with your day-to-day activities. Uh, and you have to stay disciplined, right? Good entrepreneurs have to be disciplined. But I think what I love most about it is the is the freedom. You know, I love kind of talking to an individual to come join me, join my team, and basically inspiring them to see the vision that I have and to join, essentially. And I love sort of the aspect of creating jobs and, and maybe giving people the other opportunity to, you know, have that 20% of freedom with what they want to do with their day, but actually doing it in a way that where they're reporting up to a team that, that I started. Yeah, I, I love that aspect of it. So that's probably the number one answer, and you gave both, number one and number two answer that I get from people. Number one is the freedom, and number two, it's being able to build opportunities for other people. And so, you know, you shared probably both of the most popular answers that I get to that. Mm-hmm. And number three is not to stop having to buy ties. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I hadn't, I hadn't actually done that scientific of a, of a survey on it, but it probably is not have to buy ties. But you know what? When you said that, I cringed because I just went out and bought five new ties. I'm not doing something right because in what I do for a living, I'm on stage. And, sure. you know, it's still sort of considered appropriate at a lot of these conferences that I show up in, you know, a suit or at least a blazer with a tie. And mm-hmm. uh, so my entrepreneurial venture actually involves more ties than I wore when I was in corporate America. Oh, maybe maybe that's just a cycle then. So I, I guess as I start my new venture, if I'm if I it, it's there's a correlation. If I need to start acquiring more ties, then that means I'm moving on to bigger and better things. Well, I think it has to do with the fact that, you know, as a speaker, I really believe that we have this tendency of people dressing really casually. I mean, you and I both live in a town that's very tech savvy, and I'll see some of these people who are who are your and my friends. I mean, they're part of the entrepreneurial community that you and I hang out with, and they'll show up wearing like dirty jeans and a t-shirt with a logo that has nothing to do with anything. And <laughs> it's like, you know, did you forget it was your day to speak to this audience? And I realized that showing up in an Armani suit at a tech event would be kind of, you know, inappropriate. But, you know, thinking about it the day you're going to speak, and I had one guy tell me, oh, you know, dressing dirty, that's my shtick. And I thought, oh, man, don't have a shtick. (laughs) But, you know, I I speak to all different types of audiences. And, you know, when I speak in the legal market, you know, they're all going to show up in a tie. If I showed up in a dirty T-shirt, you know, they wouldn't give me the time of day. So I still need to wear ties for a lot of the people who I work with. Yeah, and I have to put some on too. So I guess it depends when you're maybe approaching a potential investor. So the good thing is I have pretty much over a decade in my professional life of of knowing how to wear that uniform as well. So maybe that's a good part of being an entrepreneur. And fortunately, you know, they used to change the width of ties a lot. When when I was a kid, my dad would have ties that went in and out of style because of of their size. Now there's just different prints and colors that come in and out, but you can still wear a tie from three years ago most of the time. That's right. <laughs> Very <Hey>. good point. <laughs> hey, so Very I good. asked you what you really liked about it. Is there anything you don't like about it? Is there anything where you think, oh, time to go back? You know, sometimes... Uh, um and it's tough, right? Because we're, we live in a day and age now where the uh, the offers to come back are actually, it's very easy for them to find you, right? From a recruiting standpoint, uh, you know, from social media and whatnot. And, and uh, you know, as, as, as people like me go transition from one thing to the next, there's always that little in-between time. And that in-between time is either evaluating what your next move is going to be and somewhat recharging your battery. And, you know, there's a lot of you know, kind of comfortable, I would say, you know, traditional, what we would consider corporate positions that are being offered. And, you know, sometimes I look back and I say that, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's easier. I mean, uh, yeah, I thought about this. I just had this conversation, but uh, I had transitioned out of my last company, but I've moved back into the co-working space that I came out of and then realized that, that I have to be the person now to actually reset up my, um, uh, my printer drivers. 
And I didn't know how to do it because I wasn't the person that did it before. Someone else did that for me. So there is an aspect to having to do all, all this stuff yourself that sometimes it just gets real hard. I mean, you, you're, you're putting all the time and effort into it. Uh, it, it's, you know, it takes a toll on you and your family. It, it, what you have to sort of believe is that, that the rewards are worth it on the back end. But sometimes as you're going through that grind, you know, when you're, let's say, 40% of the way through um, uh, through the battle of getting this company up and running and scaled, that, you, you know, you sometimes reflect and say that, gosh, maybe when I was at that 20% stage, I still had the opportunity to to not be doing this, to not be sitting here. I mean, I think I was up here at, uh, you know, 1030, and that was two days ago, so that would have been a Saturday. Um, you know, probably not something that would have been expected of me had I just been in a different type of job. So sometimes I would say it's the, it's the hours, but I think, you know, you're going to have a lot of entrepreneurs that say that, you know, it's, it, it's those little moments that you don't like, but, uh, they're, they're more than offset, you know, with, with the rewards and, and the satisfaction that come with the things that you love about being an entrepreneur. So you bring up an interesting question because someone like you who has, you know, a killer background, you go and do something on your own for a while and then you're making a transition. And before you sort of announce what that next transition is, the headhunters start calling. So have you had any calls where people want to offer you two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year to come back into corporate America? Yeah, uh, they, they, they come quite a bit. So, uh, you know, I come from financial services. So I think right now they're looking for someone who, you know, came from a different industry, hasn't been in their organization for 20 years. And, and, you know, they're willing to let someone come into the fold with presumably, I guess, fresh ideas that they haven't had, you know, someone who's been at this organization for 20 years. And, and yeah, they do come in, they, they find you, they know about it. Uh, you have friends that reach out, reach out through social media. And maybe they say that, well, you, you know, when you transition, right, there's, there's a couple of things. Usually there's a, uh, negotiate a reason for the exit, but some people don't know. Maybe some people think that that you are interested in going in, back into that. So th- they do come, and and I, I'll be the first to tell you that some of them are decently attractive, and you know they they afford a different lifestyle. But now, then I go back to when I was at Merrill Lynch, thinking that I spent all of my time wanting to be on the entrepreneur side when I was over there. So it's probably a little bit natural natural for me to have this grass is greener on the other side thought. When well, I'm on the entrepreneur side, looking back. And I've been working for myself for six years. And a couple of years ago, somebody called and offered me a pretty good salary to come into a local company here in Austin to come back in and be their director of marketing and business development. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my business is doing well, but it's not like I'm just crushing it. And I thought I thought long and hard about having the conversation because, you know, the, the income level would have been a little bit higher. But what I really realized was that, you know, for that money, I would be giving up all of the freedom and everything that I've built. And really, I've worked really hard to get to where I am. So I never actually went in and even even had the interview. Although when I do coaching, I always teach all of my clients to go have every conversation. And then, of course, I didn't do it myself for fear that the offer would get to even better. Sure, sure. And, and you know, for me, I, I always viewed myself as someone that, that, you know, I'm not sure that I could function in those types of organizations and that type of structure for, you know, 20, 25, 30 years also. I mean, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations over the years of just sort of the uh, uh, the fresh ideas like the you know basically the name of your podcast the cool things that entrepreneurs do which you know could easily be retitled to you know what are the things that entrepreneurs do that other people don't it doesn't even cross their mind well that's that's good I think I'll change that name to you know un- <laughs> uncool things other people do but you are right in the fact that that's one of the great things like I, I'm really active in the National Speakers Association and people go there's other people who speak who do not think there's any value in it and I'm like what are you talking about I get to go like once or twice a year to these conferences with other 
other people who do what I do, and after you've developed real friendships over time, you know, we get to the point where we share real ideas of what we're doing and what we're working on, and I come home with like a notebook full of ideas of things yeah. I, I can implement, things I see other people doing, ideas people have for my business, things I see from the stage. All of a sudden, it's like my whole business gets rebuilt because of fresh ideas. And I think in corporate America, I don't think that that happens. I don't think you get to come home with a notebook full of ideas and implement them the next day. That's right. And, you know, I mean, you and I even talked about it. I mean, I remember while while getting connections that I needed for some of my entrepreneurial ventures, I've done things like, and, and you know, today we probably don't go into detail, but, you know, I think I told you the story about how, you know, basically stalked a government official inside of the airport because it was someone I needed to talk to. And that's actually a great story. And I'll just, I'll just sort of paraphrase it really quick. There was somebody who Henry needed to speak to, and they were giving a speech. And in the speech, they talked about the fact that they were going to make it home for dinner with their kids. And he knew you know, what part of the country they lived in. So he actually went online and looked at what the flight options were to that city and realized pretty well that that person was on one certain flight. So he left the conference went and bought a ticket, got in, and then hung out and was able to walk up to the person and say, hey, you know, I really liked your speech today. Whereas if he'd rushed the stage, there would have been 20 people rushing the stage. And instead, that particular person said, oh, well, do you have some time? Sit down. And they talked for 40 minutes till that person needed to board a a flight. And when you think about that, that's a little scary, a little stalker-like. But on the flip side of it, that's exactly what entrepreneurs have to do, is how do you make it so that you can get that one-on-one time with the person person who you need to reach because doing it the way everybody else does, which would be to rush the stage and stand in line, you know, you exchange cards. And so what? You're one of 20 people who shake the speaker's hand. That's right. And, and you know, I don't know that uh, when you and I first talked about that, that actually ended up uh, uh, turning into an in-person meeting, an invite to go out to Washington, D.C., at which point I spent actually three hours with the staff. Um, in the office for See, private that, meetings. That's fabulous. And that's a good example of cool things entrepreneurs do because entrepreneurs do what it takes to move the ball forward. And I think that's really what you did in that story. That's right. And, and you know, it, it, that, that's the thing that uh, it, it, those kinds of ideas, that kind of freedom, that kind of, uh, I, I guess, you know, no guts, no glory type of attitude is, is you know, what what excites me whenever I meet entrepreneurs. I talk to an entrepreneur every day and I learn something every day from having those conversations. Well, and that's true because I see you around town and you're always at the entrepreneurial gatherings. What do you learn from having these conversations with entrepreneurs? Uh, you know, I learned uh, there, there are probably 10 million mistakes that you can make as an entrepreneur. And in, in, and in my lifetime, I, I probably do a pretty good job of averaging between 10 to 25 of them a day. And I think if I still work out the math, it's still not enough for me to even make 10% of the mistakes that are possible out there. So having these conversations allows me to... You know, be out there and, and really share the war stories, right? I mean, we, we share the glory stories and maybe we, you know, the, the press does a good job of embellishing the glory stories. But when you're actually talking entrepreneur to entrepreneur, you pretty much spend about 80% of your time talking about the, uh, the rejections, you know, the customer who didn't, you know, uh, didn't sign up for your product or the investor that turned you down for funding or the deal that didn't go your way or the employee that you were trying to get to come work for you and didn't actually decide, decide on another offer, uh, for example. And, and, you know, you just learn so much by having those conversations. And those are the things that only happen when you, when you have that face-to-face meeting and, and on a common ground type of environment. And, and I would say that that's probably one of the most important things that I do. I mean, uh, there's a lot of mistakes to be made out there. It's a lot easier if you don't actually have to live through them yourself. And you can avoid them. So, Henry, what's the best piece of advice you have for somebody who wants to make that leap? Maybe they're working a job like you used to work, and 
and they've always had that little ping inside them to go do their own their own thing, but they're too scared to take that leap, and, and their company's doing well. They're not going to get laid off. What yeah. advice do you have? Well, you, you know, it, it always starts, uh, for me, it was starting with the family, you know, kind of setting the expectation and, and, you know, running it by with your family first. And I know that you've probably heard this before on your podcast as, as the host, but, you know, it, it was important for me to get buy-in from my wife and daughter. Um, you know, I come from a finance background. So for me, it was really making sure that things were okay from a finance standpoint. I mean, you, you did come from this comfortable, comfortable job and you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. So things went from being very steady eddy to being completely unknown from day to day and month to month and week to week. So you kind of establish what your plan is going to be. You start to think about, okay, what are there all the variables, things that could happen? And then once you play out a few scenarios in your mind, start to think about that, well, what happens if, uh, you know, instead of a $10,000 paycheck coming in this month, that you have to pay a $8,000 bill to get your startup off the ground. And that's just for legal work, for example. You know, run that scenario through your mind. And if you're kind of comfortable with it in your mind, then you're probably going to be okay making that leap. And uh, it's, it's well worth it in the long run, that's for sure. And that is such good advice. I mean, you know, my wife, I couldn't do this if my wife and my kids weren't supportive of it. I mean, they my job involves a lot of travel. And yeah. that was something that they had to be able to buy into. And I don't think I could have done what I do as a speaker when my kids were really little. So my kids are teenagers now, and they understand sure. this is, you know, the joke is this is how daddy buys the toys. You know, he has, to, he has to go speak at a conference, and most conferences, you know, sadly aren't held in Austin, Texas. So, and and even when they are, I'm usually not who they call because I don't know if you know the definition of an expert. Sure, it's anyone with a boarding pass. Oh, I see. So you tend to get <laughs> as a speaker, you tend to get hired out of town a lot more than you ever do in your town, even though it would be a lot cheaper. For groups to bring me in in Austin, uh, people are much more happy to pay to fly me than uh, sure. to have you local because local just seems, you know, anybody can have local. That's right, and on a, and, and you know, on a practical standpoint too, I kind of answered your question with the very sort of macro high level, and and you know, just advice I give people and I talk to other entrepreneurs is that uh, I would just add two things. One is that to stay focused. Uh, I was talking with an entrepreneur friend of mine this morning and he said that entrepreneurs don't have AD, ADD. We have uh, ADOS and he said that's uh, attention deficit. Oh, shiny. And then all of a sudden you end up looking at something else. So that's what he said. He said entrepreneurs have ADOS is what he says. Uh, and you know, from a practical standpoint, what most people that know me know that, that the way that I try to stay on top of things. So I'm a big, big consumer of, uh, of news and media. Uh, and and it, it's not for entertainment purposes. I mean, I'm, I read you know a couple dedicated Wired, Forbes, Fortune, Bloomberg, Business Week, and then personal finance magazines like Money and Kiplinger. And I read those six magazines cover to cover essentially every month. And, and it's my way of sort of identifying the changes that are happening in the world. Nothing ever catches my eye when I see it mentioned one time. But if I start to see it mentioned two or three times between Wired and Fortune, now it's starting to you know percolate a little bit. It's making some of my hair stand up, and maybe it's starting to become something. And you know, just from a very practical standpoint, you know, you focus and focus, and you're always working on your idea. But you have to have a very good understanding, right? An entrepreneur has a successful business when. So we had a Skype malfunction. We lost connection. I don't know if it was the master internet, if it was Skype, or maybe it was user error. Maybe I blew it. But Henry <laughs> is back. So go on with what you were telling us. So what I was saying was that, that by being a consumer of these kind of uh, different types of media, when I start to see things come up in two different places or the second time it's mentioned, then I know it's something that I need to start keeping uh, keeping tabs on. It's actually how I first identified that, that technology was really starting to com come into the world of 
investment management. Uh, so this was going back to 2007, 8, and 9. And these companies have recently raised anywhere from 50 to $250 million in venture capital funding. But I remember reading and testing these things out back in 2011 because it's one thing if you see something pop up in Fortune magazine, but then you start to see the same thing being talked about in Wired. And those are two very different uh, uh, different publications. And then it's something that you know you as a good entrepreneur always looking for an opportunity or trying to identify a budding market trend should pay attention to. And, and I just tell people that, that you know, good entrepreneurs, what they do is they, they basically – find opportunity. They, 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 either, they get a sense of a trend that's happening and they build a business around it. And, you know, the only way you're going to know that is by having experiences and, and, and you know, consuming information. And I think good entrepreneurs, the, one, the, the legendary entrepreneurs, what a lot of people don't know about them is most of them were very, very avid readers and consumers of information. You know, you see them giving speeches. You don't picture them sitting in their couch reading for hours on end. But I think Bill Gates says that he reads for anywhere from one to two hours a day. Yeah, that's something that I, you know, I try to do as often as I can. I don't know that I do it every day, but I definitely know that that's the only way I'm able to have conversations when I run into cool entrepreneurs like you when I'm out and about is if I'm not reading what's going on in, in you know, Fast Company or, or in Fortune or something like that, I'm certainly not going to be prepared to have conversations because the, the best entrepreneurs I know are always out there trying to read and learn. Absolutely. Very true. So that's just the practical of, you know, what's my advice? It's that, you know, be a big consumer of information because, um, you know, information advantage is actually what a lot of businesses and successful investments are built on. So the more information you have, the more likely you are to have an advantage over someone else who doesn't have the same amount of that information. Hey, Henry, I've got more questions for you, but first I got to thank our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Henry Yoshida. If you want to start a podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this podcast. So Henry, you know, we've asked you about your advice and we've talked about your companies and your, your experiences, but you know, I think that some of the best entrepreneurs, in addition to being well-read, as we talked about, I think some of the best ones are observers. So my favorite question is, what's something that you see someone else doing, not your company, but something you see someone else doing where you think, wow, they're crushing it? Well, you know, this, this kind of goes back into the reinvention. I mean, you know, the, the thing that excites me, and, and this is happening a lot here in Austin, is that, that what's it's such a great time to be in the city because you have actually our sort of, I would call our foundation entrepreneurs, the guys that, you know, the guys and gals here in town that everyone really knows. And, and they're on their, they're, they're doing a new turn. So they're starting a new business. And what the trend that I'm noticing now and what I love seeing is that, that these are people who may have been five-time entrepreneurs, but really five times in a row built businesses that were kind of built on the same concepts. But now they're coming out with concept six and it has nothing to do with anything you'd associate with that person's past. And, and it's kind of a reinvention time. So, you know, I'll give a little bit of homage to some of the entrepreneurs I read about here in town, but I see, you know, um, Melly coming out with her new deal. I just saw that the other day. I see Dan Graham kind of working on a new, uh, on a new product. Now he's got the incubator out in East Austin that he's the advisor for, and it's just totally different. And I just see these guys taking a chance at reinventing, coming into a new industry. And, and I love seeing the foundation entrepreneurs here kind of taking a different turn and, and what it, you know what it kind of leads me to believe is that uh, 
I see it as a very cool thing because maybe it gives a lot of people hope to say that, well, you know, you don't need to go from being an accountant or a lawyer and to try to build a business that's related to accounting or legal work. You can go do anything. Um, you can start any type of business you want. And, and, you know, I just see other entrepreneurs doing that. They're doing things that have nothing to do with their past and what you would have thought. Um, and I think it's a, it's a great thing to see. It's, it's, you know, just an expansion of their horizons. Yeah, and I see it a lot, especially with people who are kind of Gen X. So they're either the high end of Generation X is turning 50 and the low end is just turned 40. And, and somewhere in that time frame, I don't know if this has been true of all the generations, but there seems to be a restlessness amongst sort of my peers who are in that, you know, late 30s to early 50s, you know, sort of time frame. And a lot of people are really looking at, you know, why am I here? What do I want to do? What's the mark that I want to leave? And sure. that's causing a lot of people to do exactly what you're saying, and that is reinvent and, and relaunch. That's right. And it's just an interesting time. And, and I see a lot of people doing that now. I mean, I see people leaving, you know, high paying jobs and doing something that you'd never think that they would do. But uh, it, it was something that, that they had an interest or they saw an opportunity with. And, and I just think that's great. I mean, I have a friend who went from owning a chain of restaurants, and now he's doing uh, commercial real estate as an entrepreneur. And he did this turn and pivot in the last 60 days. Yeah, and I think that it's, like I said, I think that it's a common thing that's happening right now. What's great is the more people who are doing it, the more other people who get to witness it, and then they say, well, shoot, if he did it, I can do it. And a lot of people have to see, you know, there's a lot of people who want to touch and feel and know that someone else has tested that water before they leap in. And I think with the huge amounts of people who are doing what you're saying, I think that that gives encouragement to the other people who want to sort of, you know, pivot and relaunch themselves. And I know that's a lot of people who listen to this show because they email me and tell me this whole talk about reinvent reinventing is really resonating with me. That's right. So it's great that I kind of came on at this time. Then you, you kind of caught me at that particular uh, moment in time. Now I'm still a financial advisor at heart. So so I, uh, I pretty much use my Twitter account to dole out financial advice for the most part. <laughs> so what's the? I'm going to pivot off my normal questions here. So what's you're in the part in the middle of this sort of reinvention? We're not even talking about everything you're doing because it's all kind of fresh and new. What's the scary part of doing a big pivot like this? Can you do it again? Um, will people? Will you know, well, people believe that this is what you really want to do. So, I mean, I've, I've went from one very, you know, unique part of the business to an, an entity that was in technology. And, you know, I'm not sure that, that I stay in technology. Maybe I take a turn and do something else. And I guess what, what's scary to me is that are people going to continue to keep taking me seriously when I show up in uh, yet another uniform, another role, another industry, for example. Uh, and now I do think that, that great entrepreneurs know how to make that work. Uh, they do have a very good sense of, of taking a, a measured risk. I would, you know, I think entrepreneurs are characterized, overly characterized as risk takers. I like to think that they're more, you know, uh, calculated captures of opportunity. <laughs> I like that too. And I've thought about it before. So. so Henry, it has been absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. So thank you so much for coming on. Any last advice for the listeners? Think about your next move. And remember, uh, someone's probably done it before. I would just, I would just take a chance and do it. Calculate a risk. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs are, are measured. Uh, they're not all risk takers. I think that, that if you carefully evaluate your options, you'll do what's best for you. So, Henry, if somebody listened to the show and they've just got to find out more about you, maybe they want to make you one of those offers you don't want to take for hundreds of thousands <laughs> of dollars to come work for their company, or, or maybe they just want to learn a little bit more about, you know, how do you do that sort of a reinvention pivot? How do people find you? Sure. Uh, you know, probably easiest way is uh, yeah, I answer a lot of emails. I'm on it all the time. So you could write me at just one word, Henry Yoshida, H-E-N-R-Y, 
Y-O-S-H-I-D-A at gmail.com. Probably easiest way to reach me. And then if you want to want some free financial advice, I'm, I'm, I'm at uh, Henry Yoshida is the Twitter handle. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your wisdom with the listeners. And for those of you who listened, hey, thanks for tuning in. It's always better when we know we have listeners. So send me a tweet at Tom Singer, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R or at Cool Podcast. And let me know that you listened. Let me know what you think of the show. Uh, Maybe jump on over to iTunes and leave a review for me. That makes my whole day so much brighter. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with another interview with somebody just as cool as Henry. I mean, that might be hard to do, but we're going to do it. And uh, in the meantime, y'all go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.